Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. As we follow the Advent traditions together this morning, we're going to probe a deeper meaning of what most of us are going to be doing over the next few weeks, or especially on Christmas Day. We're going to be feasting, and the pra- that practice of feasting is a biblical practice. And this morning is a two-pronged morning. I'm, I'll spend a few minutes talking about, actually, feasting, and you could tell I'm rather experienced with the feasting portion of it, and, and I'll spend, uh, and then we're going to jump over to honoring some very special people here at NC4. Now, I've been in the pulpit in Bethlehem for probably around... I don't know, six weeks or so. And so I just want you all to know that I'm, I'm deeply enjoying uh, my irrelevance, all right? <laughs> when I was a kid, I was raised in a liturgical church where Advent involved more fe- fasting than feasting. I was a Catholic church, a pre-Vatican Catholic church, where there was a lot of liturgical movement uh, before Easter and before Christmas. A lot of fasting. And so you fasted a lot during Advent, and then Christmas Eve came. <clears throat> when Christmas Eve came, you fasted that day. And even as a kid, we didn't have to fast the way the adults did, but we did have to do fasting. And my, my, my grandmother and my mother made sure that this is why I have a problem today. So anyway, they made sure that, that we fasted. And then you would go to, to, to a late Mass on Christmas Eve. That's what you did. And you came home. See, the, the reason for the fasting was to make you hungry, right? And, you know, it was to make you spiritually hungry as well. And, I th- you know, I think there was something to that. So isn't it interesting that Pastor Ian gave a message just maybe a month ago on fasting, which is the best message on fasting I've ever heard. If you want to understand fasting, you go back to that message. It was really good. You need to write that up somehow and, do a podcast or something. And so you would fast all day and then you'd, you know, you'd come home and in Polish, I was in a Polish household, in Polish household, you had this special meal. It was called Vigilia from the Latin word vigil, meaning you were, you were culminating a vigil, uh, awaiting the coming of Jesus, honoring the first coming of Jesus in the manger. Matter of fact, they had a little manger on the table like we have here this morning. And, and then they had a little manger on the table, but then you had this feast and you pigged out for a whole week until you were sick. <laughs> but it was, part, it was part and parcel of what you did at Christmas. And I remember it was really, really special. Our Christmases when I was a child were extremely special. And I know some of you have some tough Tough memories of Christmas, I don't. I mean, it, it, it just this wonder. And I think it was, the Holy Spirit was working in me. I wasn't, I didn't come to, to grace until being a, a young adult with my wife, Trish. But, but even in my early days, the Holy Spirit was at work. How many of you know that you're, the beginning of your getting saved is when you're conceived? Are you there? Right? Yeah? And so, so the truth is, this was a special time. Now, I find it interesting that we're going to be talking about feasting today because uh, if you put this up, fasting is a practice which provokes an awareness 
of the presence of God for ourselves personally. And we talked a lot about that, right? But we don't consider this too much. Feasting is a practice which provokes an awareness of the presence of God communally when we feast. Which is why feasting is all over the Bible. Now, there are specific feasts in the Bible. We'll talk about that a little bit. But I'm talking about breaking bread with your brothers and sisters. I was at a church in Nashville. I've been to a lot of churches since retirement because of what I've been doing with our network of churches. And I was at a church in, in Nashville where instead of cell groups, they have, I think it's every two weeks or once a month, I'm not sure, they have, I can't remember the name of it, but they have a feast. And they alternate people at the feast every two weeks or every month, whatever the time schedule is. And, and that's what you do. And that's how you get to know each other. And that's how you develop relationship in the church. And I thought, isn't that an interesting way to go? You know? And so biblically, uh, a feast isn't a feast if you're alone. Huh? In, in the Torah... God commands Moses and the people together to observe seven feasts a year. This is actually in the Torah itself. It rises to the level of a commandment. Now, some of you know these feasts. We can't run through them. It would be an interesting study to do all seven feasts because they all point to Jesus, right? So, you know, Passover, Yom Kippur, Pentecost, which is Shavuot, and, and all these feasts. But the point is that they're celebrated They're always celebrated as families and communities in the presence of God, and they point to something important, which is God himself, something important in the community, in the redemptive community. So, got to turn this here. In the manger, in the manger, the swaddled Jesus is first presented to us as food and the coming of God's provision to a fallen creation, huh? And I find that that really fascinating. In other words, from the beginning, Jesus came to us. There's no other uh, God figure that I know in any literature or faith system where the child was placed in the manger. And what is a manger but a place of food for oxen and donkeys and sheep? And goats. In other words, Jesus is posed and presented to us as food for sustenance for a, a creation that desperately needs to be sustained and released from sin. Yeah? That's kind of what a, what a picture. Are we there? Yeah? So, in this picture, in this scene, there are three major feasts in the New Testament. The first feast is what we're celebrating today. It's the manger feast. It's, it's this idea that as we feast, we can present Jesus at some level in the next two weeks to a lost world. Or we can present Jesus to a redeemed world in a new way. Huh? I find that just with all the tinsel and froth and bubble of Christmas, we can miss the meaning of Christmas. And we of all people, have a a mandate upon us to be able to take Christmas and take it and take the meaning of it to a world that so desperately needs it. The world is tender. The world is vulnerable. The world is primed at this time of year to understand 
or at least be open to who Jesus is in ways that it's not at other times of year. Are you there? So what can we do? Could it be that if it's not awkward, if there's not uh, unbelievers at the table, bring the Eucharist to the Christmas table this year? How about that as a practical? What about this? What about taking a time next week and fasting for a few hours and praying for a few hours about how during our time of feasting, we can honor the Lord. And if, 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 if Eucharist is too ostentatious or might, might be awkward at some tables, what about printing out the words of the, the carol that we, we sang this morning? One of them, there's a couple of great catechetical carols. You know, O come all you faithful. Print out the words. Let everybody sing them together. Most people know them because there's a hidden Jesus in the most secular of Christmases, Right? Yeah, Tim Keller has a great book out called Hidden Christmas, and he talks about being in a department store and being in the department store and the encroachment when in the midst of all the materialism and the secularization, a carol like that comes on and presents Jesus. Huh? We can do that at our tables. We can pray at our tables. We can, we can ask the Lord to show us Without being cheeky, without being ostentatious, we can ask the Lord to show us how we can communicate Jesus. Put him in the manger. huh? Troth. That's the first feast. Second feast in the New Testament is, first is a manger feast, then there's the, the Eucharistic feast, the Passover feast. We're going to do that this morning too. The kids are going to come up at the end of what we're doing today and we're going to feast together, have the Eucharistic feast. And the third feast is the feast of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that's part of what we're doing today, too, because we're feasting expectant of the arrival of Jesus, our Savior. Three feasts, yeah. I remember, I hope I can communicate this. You know, a feast is a sumptuous meal. Did I have a a slide? I don't have all my notes up here. I thought I did, but I, I missed a page. Oh, no, I didn't. You know what I did? No, it's not both sides. I missed a page. So, do we have another slide? Can you put the next slide up? Yeah, feasting is a practice. Okay, move along, move along. Another one. (laughs) Ah, yeah, this is the one I like. Uh, You can tell. A feast, biblically, is a large, sumptuous meal with others lasting over a period of time. It takes a while commemorating in the presence of God something or someone special. You see, it's sumptuous. It's, there's something lavish about it, right? I was preaching a couple months ago. I won't tell you what state because I don't want to identify the church or the people. But the, the, the pastor and his wife were, the church is kind of, you know, Gen Z, Gen X, trendy, you know, that kind of stuff. So they took Trish and I out for lunch, which we really appreciated after service. And it was, it was the title of the restaurant was, had an herb, it had said herb in it. Like, I, I don't remember the title of the restaurant, but the word herb was in it because it was pretty much a, a vegetarian restaurant, although they had chicken for people like me. So, and I remember looking at the menu and I'm thinking, this is not going to be a feast. Seriously, it's so not me, you know, I'm so carnivorous. And, and so, so, 
So I ordered the chicken. I ordered a chicken salad, blackened chicken salad or something. The chicken tasted like kale. <laughs> it did. That's not a feast. I'm going to get judged on all this when I, you know. So, so sorry, vegans and vegetarians. But you know what? There's no such thing as a, a, a vegan Passover in Judaism, you know, or in Christianity, you know. Uh, Trisha d- doesn't like lamb. I love lamb, right? I mean, God so loved the world that he invented lamb chops. Anyway, so, so whenever we have lamb, Trisha says, how can you eat that? And I think, well, Jesus, I said, say to her, Jesus ate lamb, you know. Yeah, okay. And, and the, or then, then she doesn't like fish, so she won't let me even prepare the fish in the house. I got to prepare it outside, bring it in. Are you, are you right, Bob? Because the house smells like fish. I said, Jesus ate fish. Yeah. So do you know, do you know if you, <laughs> like the fish that he multiplied were tilapia. Seriously, freshwater tilapia. So, you know, you could go out today, you know, and buy a baguette and buy some tilapia, cook it up, get some, some sauce and sit down and say, I'm a disciple. <laughs> you can multiply it. Anyway. All right. <clears throat> When I was a kid, here we go. When I was a kid, um, we, we came from a, a, a Polish immigrant family. My, my, great, my great uncle and aunt were immigrants from Poland, and uh, their, their names were Brabinski. Matter of fact, the, the guy I'm talking about, his grandson, his Gore Brabinski, who did all the Pirates of the Caribbean, Johnny Depp movies, all those things, and uh, became very well known. But they, when they came here, they, they bought a farm in northern Pennsylvania, dirt poor. I mean, really dirt poor. Ten kids, dirt poor, and, and they didn't even have plumbing inside the house and so forth. But we would go as a family every once in a while to this farm that they had bought, and we'd all be family together, and it was a, a feasting thing. And so, but one of the kids that they had, his name was Teddy, was a young kid. He was born with all of his, not all of them, but a significant num- number of his organs outside his body. And so he was, he was patched up, I guess. This is the mid-50s, right? And so it's uh, a lot of what we understand about modern medicine wasn't being pra- practiced, especially in rural Pennsylvania. And so they, they patched him up somehow, but he always, you know, he, was all, he stayed away from everybody and he didn't talk. And everyone was thinking, how, how long is he going to last, right? How long can you live like this? As, Seems as if uh, this is going to be something that takes his life. And so he was shy. He smelled. I'm being honest. He smelled because of, because of his body, bodily fluids were draining outside his body and so forth. And, but he was, he was, nobody knew him because he, he was embarrassed to be around people. And then my, my dad and my uncles went to, to a med school in Philadelphia. They went to Penn and, and, and Jeff and when they were in med school, they began to realize what was possible medically for this kid. And so they got him down there. You know, matter of fact, my dad studied under C. Everett Koop. Some of you know who that is. And, and so they, they got him down there. He was there forever. And surgery after surgery after surgery, they put him back. They put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Huh? And, and by the way, they were devout. They, they weren't evangelicals, but they were devout people. Okay, and I believed in God, all that, and and so so he came home and and he he was so affected by 
what happened to him consequent to medicine that he became a pediatrician. He went back to, I think Jefferson became a pediatrician. And, and he was a new man, you know. So, so he meets this gal and they get married. And I'll remember this. I don't, the Holy Spirit was working in me as a kid. I certainly wasn't saved. But anyway, he, he got married and they were still all poor. But they had the wedding when it had a nuptial mass and then they came back to the farm and they, they moved all the furniture out, right? Moved all the furniture out. And then in uh, the extremities, they moved the furniture to the barn and there was food everywhere, food everywhere. And you'd walk into the house where the reception was after mass and, and you walk into the house and there was a guy with a tray with a bottle and two shot glasses. I'm just being honest here, okay? And and. And the bottle was a bottle of boyo, which is a Polish liqueur, you know, for festive times. And I I can't tell you what's in it because it would be a sin. Anyway, so anyway, a bottle of boyo. And the guy with the accordion would go, you know, he played the accordion. If somebody walked in the door and it would go, it would be a dun, 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 die, bougie, die, bougie, which means give kisses, give kisses. Every adult had to take a shot and then kiss the bride and groom. All right. And then you come in and there was dancing and eating. And I remember that this, all the weddings I've ever been to, there was this incredible joy. And and I was trying to, you know, as a kid work out, I believe it was the Holy Spirit who began to speak to me because I knew enough from the, the liturgies that this was an issue where the son that was supposed to be dead is now alive. Huh? And now he's come to his marriage supper. Huh? Yeah? See, all our feasts should have that element, yeah? Because that's what feasting is about. Okay, so this, I'm going to finish with this on feasting. This is a quickie. So how, as we feast at our meals then, I want to reiterate this. and our get-togethers, do we provide the provision who is Jesus himself. I mean, I really, I think we can be creative this Christmas and do something that we wouldn't do other Christmases because we're so Christmased out by the time Christmas comes. <laughs> we just want to eat and go to sleep, yeah? So, you know, maybe we could bring Eucharist to the table. That might not be appropriate, but we, what, what we can invite, invite unbelievers and make sure that we say a gentle grace or sing a carol or two, but, but let's pray about it. Let's just say, like, between now and next week, let's pray about it. Take a couple hours to fast and pray and see what God does this Christmas. Amen? Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.